0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, August the 14th, 2023. It is currently 10.59 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Have you ever have you ever got ready to do something, but you didn't know exactly what was going to happen? Have you ever got ready to maybe take off somewhere, but you didn't really know what was going to happen? I think typically we have a pretty good idea, right? We have it mapped out. We think this is going to happen. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Now, it may not go the way you had planned it. But you typically know what's going to happen. You 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 typically have some idea, but maybe you've experienced where, okay, all right, I'm going to do this today, but I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't even really know where it's going to go, but this is what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I, I bet most of you have probably never just said, you know what, I'm going to take a road trip. Where are you going to go? I don't know. I'm just going to get in the car and just start driving. I don't, I don't know which direction you're going to go. I don't know. I'm just going to take off. And if I want to go left, I'll go left. If I want to go right, I want to go, right. if I want to go north, I'll go north. If I want to go south, I'm just going to take off. And, and then I may make it five miles north and then take east and then go, and then may turn around and go. West. You, you just, you have no idea. I, I bet most of you have never done that, right? I would, I would bet maybe there are some times where you don't know where you're going to go. Well, that's kind of where I am today for this podcast episode, because what I have learned over the last two episodes in this ongoing series on law and gospel is that obviously I don't know where we're going. I, I thought I did. And then we were like, where did we end up? It's like, I think you're probably thinking, you know, um, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna get in the, I don't wanna get in the car with you because obviously you don't even know where you're going. Who, why are you driving? Because you don't even know where you're going. There's a little bit of truth to that when it comes to me doing podcasts where we review audio because I think in my mind I know where we're going. But the reality is I have no idea. Now, if you've been with us, you know currently, We're doing what we're calling Law and Gospel Redo. We started this series in October of 2022. We've done well over 100 hours now of teaching on the proper distinction between law and gospel. And obviously, we had a a clear idea of where we were headed, okay? Now, we had some twists and turns. We had some bumps in the road. We've made it through that. And then we, st- we just, dis- we decided we're going to kind of restart this series, redo it to refresh, to kind of get us all back on the, on the same page, to kind of remind everyone to try to make sure we really have these principles down. And to do this kind of redo section of this series, We're utilizing the audio from Issues ETC. It's a Lutheran radio program slash podcast. You should subscribe to it today, Issues ETC. They decided to start doing their own, you know, law and gospel series. The proper distinction between law and gospel. And I thought, you know what? It would be great. Let's use what they're doing since they're using the same book, right? Right. God's no and God's yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel. They're using the same 25 theses that are in this book. I'm like, so we've already covered this, but we'll go back and at least let let, let them cover what we've already covered. And it will offer additional perspective. It will offer a reminder. This, this will, this will really get this down. And so I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I know exactly where they're going to go. And you know what? Thesis number one, they went exactly where I thought they would go. Thesis number two, number three, number four, everything was working out great. I'm like, this is a brilliant idea. I'm a genius. And then we came to thesis number five. I really thought I knew where we were going. And then all of a sudden it became obvious that I have no idea where we're going. I have no, I have no idea what they're doing. It has been a very interesting approach to thesis number five. And I, at least my own personal feeling is we ended up, I don't know where we ended up. We didn't end up where we needed to be. So we're trying to get the car back on the road. But to be honest with you, guess what? Based off the last two, I don't know if I know where we're going. <laughs> I don't know where we're going to end up. I don't know. Now, you may find that fun. Some of you are like, I love it. Hop in the car, just take off. I don't want to know where we're going. I don't even know the direction we're going. Let's just see where we end up. Some of you are adventurous. Others of you are like, absolutely not. I need to see the GPS. I need to see it printed out. I want to mark it up. I want to know everything. And I, I need to know the time. We're going to be at this place. And Some of you are very like, you want to know. Others of you are like, I don't want to know anything. Just drive. And wherever we end up, it'll be fun. So I don't know which where you are on this spectrum of approaches to things. Maybe for your podcast listening, you would like the <laughs> the podcast host to be a little bit more you know, aware of where you're going, but just rem- I, let me remind you, the reason I don't know sometimes where we're going is because when we review audio, I don't listen to it first because I do like the unknown because then my reactions are real and my critique is not rehearsed and I don't, I don't like it being rehearsed. So ladies and gentlemen, feel free to get in the car. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> okay. I have no idea. I know we're supposed to be looking at thesis number five. So let me remind you of thesis number five. The first manner of confounding long gospel is the one most easily recognized. So the first way that people confound and confuse long gospel is the most easily recognized. And it's the the grossest, as my translation reads. It's the grossest. It's the... It's the most crude, all right? Now, this first instance, this first way of confounding law and gospel is adopted by many different groups throughout church history, most most notable, the papists, the Roman Catholics. Now, unknown to me, when I read the word the papist, or sometimes I'll say papist, the papist, When I when I see that word papist, for me, I'm always thinking Roman Catholicism. We were... I don't even know what they were doing in the uh, Issues ETC podcast, but they basically tried to argue papist doesn't necessarily mean Catholics. It only means those who submit to the teaching and the dogmas and the anathemas of the Catholic Church. So I guess you can be a Catholic, but not really a papist. But if you're a Catholic, you're a Catholic who doesn't really go along with the teaching of the Catholic Church. So then I don't know, do you really call yourself a Catholic? It was the most confounding, confusing discombobulated thing I'd ever heard because it really added nothing to the discussion. But supposedly, there's a number of people throughout church history and groups who have confounded law and gospel in this way and it's the most easily recognized. And here is the way in which this occurs. It consists in this, that Christ is represented as a new Moses or a law giver and the gospel is turned into a doctrine of meritorious works. Well, at the same time, those who teach that the gospel is the message of the free grace of God and Christ are condemned and anathematized as done by the papists. So there's two parts to this way. This is the, the, the easiest or well, this is the most how they I may quote them. This is the first manner of confounding long gospel. And it's the easiest to detect. So what they do is they come along and begin and some way should perform to present present Christ as a law giver, as a new Moses, as a second Moses. Hey, Moses gave us the law. Now Christ came and He gives us His law, and His law is even more strict. Now a lot of Christians teach that, right? But the problem is why they this is where it gets confusing is yes, Christ clearly gives us law in the Sermon on the Mount, but how we understand that is all he's doing is helping us understand the the law of Moses. He's, he's helping us truly understand what the law of Moses is saying. And when he gives us that law, the whole purpose is to, he's expounding the law of Moses so we, that we can see its full impact. It's how strict it really is so that we will be broken and condemned by it and then run to Christ who is the savior, not a lawgiver. He is a law keeper who keeps the law for those who cannot and then dies for, for all all of us who have broken the law and then saves us by his imputed righteousness. So if you, the main thing here is this is where someone comes along and takes and tries to, and I'm just going to say it this way. They try to place, they try to, they try to place inside the gospel, some idea of law keeping. Some idea that you have to keep the law. Now, the way most non-Catholics do this is we don't, and, and we play this little game. No, you need the law, but not in order to gain salvation. You need the law in order to prove your salvation, which of course then means you have to keep the law in order to be saved. So no matter, you can you can play the little semantics game, but you're still saying the same thing. If you're telling me I've got to keep the law in order to prove that I'm saved, then you're telling me I've got to keep the law in order to be saved, because if I don't keep the law, then supposedly I was never saved. But the problem is you're never going to keep the law because the law demands perfection. Not only that, you're pointing people to the law for proof of salvation where the law was never designed to prove salvation. The law was to prove, to, was there to show you that you need salvation. And then salvation is found in Christ who kept the law for you. So you look to the finished work of Christ. You look to his obedience to the law to prove your salvation, not your obedience. So this really brings in the idea of meritorious work. You should be able to detect this, see this, and realize that you're getting, someone is preaching to you and they are confounding law and gospel. Then the the next part of this is when they begin to condemn you and they condemn the gospel uh, and condemn the message of free grace. They condemn it, they anathematize it. Well, many Christians, you know, if you try to preach the true gospel, in a sense, you're going to be condemned and anathematized because they're going to call you an antinomian. They're going to start trying to accuse you of cheap grace and being easy believism, and they're going to accuse you of that. Well, that means they're confounding law and gospel. So we've looked at this thesis, The, the program that we've been reviewing, they've been all over the place. They've kind of confused it, but we've got, we've got a couple of more segments to review. We're, so we're going to choose one more segment here. We're going to review it. Hopefully, 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 this is going to prove to be very beneficial and, uh, kind of make up for how weird this whole one got. And I apologize. I have to keep kind of repeating the thesis and kind of going back over it over and over and over again, but they leave me really no choice because, ladies and gentlemen, I don't really know where we're getting ready to go, clearly based off the previous two segments that we have reviewed. But let's go back to issues ETC. They're looking at thesis number five. Let's see what they're going to do. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm being honest with you. I have no idea what is getting ready to happen. So here we go.
1: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're in Part 5 of our series on Properly Distinguishing Law and Gospel with Pastor Will Whedon. Luther continued, The first step in Christianity is the preaching of repentance and the knowledge of oneself. The second step is this. If you want to be saved, your salvation does not come from works, but God has sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. He was crucified and died for you and bore your sins in His own body an excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for June, Take Courage, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times, from Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or you can call Concordia Publishing House and order Take Courage by Pastor Matt Harrison, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Well, another point that Walther makes here is that if the gospel is turned into merely a set of rules and Christ into a giver of new rules to be kept, the distinction that makes Christianity Christianity, and not just like every other world religion, disappears. Right, right. It gets swallowed up. And he based that
2: especially upon the Old Testament text from Jeremiah 31. Let me read this. These are just such precious words. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, though I wasn't husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more, every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, saith the Lord. And why, and why? For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more.
0: Okay. Oh boy. All right. Now, Jeremiah 31, 31. We have talked about this so many times. We definitely have talked about it already in our study of Jeremiah. We've gone into great detail here. And I know this sets me apart from every other Christian podcast you listen to. This sets me apart probably from uh, all the, the church you go to. This probably sets me apart from all the Christians you know. And I know this puts me, people get very upset with me. They do not like this. But I am just going to be dogmatic about this, and I don't care who agrees or disagrees with me. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one, just in the context of the book of Jeremiah, I have no idea why so many of us Christians, Gentiles, reach into Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one. We grab this beautiful new covenant promise, and we're like, "Boom! That baby is ours!" Right? Hey, Israel, get to walk in kick them to the curb, go, just keep on walking. We too, we're we like the bully, you know, and the, and the cafeteria is still in someone's lunch money, right? We're like Israel, Judah, come on, come on, give me the new covenant promise. Come on, give it to me. Give it to me. It's mine. You keep walking, and we take it from them, and we say, so sorry, so sorry. You get all of the curses. You get all the judgment. But look at us. We get the blessings. We get the new covenant because Israel's been finished. They've been replaced by us. Now, some may not go that far to say it that way. Obviously, there's entire systems of theology that do that. And they say, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, that's us. That's the church. That's spiritual Israel. Israel, we're so sorry. I reject that outright. I mean, the entire book is about Judah and Israel. The entire book is about the nation. So the promise here is, hey, hey, even though you're going into Babylonian captivity, even though Israel has been taken by the Assyrians, even though there's been judgment and condemnation and death and destruction and all the horrible things that's fallen upon you, God is not finished with you because he elected you. He chose you. Therefore, God is not going to turn on his promises. He's going to keep his promises. And so God will, at a specific time, he will fulfill. This new covenant to the nation and all Israel will be saved. In the meantime, yes, their blindness comes upon them. And in the, in the meantime, blindness comes upon them so that we, the Gentiles, can be grafted in. We reap some of the benefits from this covenant by faith, by being grafted in. But this new covenant is specifically, I mean, the text literally says, made with the house of Israel and Judah. Its ultimate fulfillment is with them. And and clearly, it has not occurred as of yet. Clearly, all Israel is not saved. Clearly, they're, they're still in darkness. They're bu- these are beautiful promises. But when you take all of the new covenant promises in the Old Testament, you got some in Ezekiel, you got some here, and look at everything that comes with it. There's no way it, it well, one, it, that you, you can't even apply it necessarily to us because in some of those new covenant promises, it's about taking away a stony heart and giving you a heart of flesh. So are you saying the old nature is gone? It, it seems to speak that they're going to obey. They're going to keep all of his commandments. We do not obey and keep his commandments as Christians. We fall short all the time. We clearly still have a sinful nature. All right. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, I mean, mean, we can can just go on and on and on and on and and read more here about everything that happens here with the new covenant. Everyone forgets everything that's going to occur in Jeremiah 31. We could just read the whole thing. There's so much more there that clearly is not for the church and not for us as Gentiles. It's for Israel. It's for Israel. All right. Uh, It says. uh, Behold, uh, verse 38. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. This is in connection. This is in connection with the new covenant. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord. From the tower of Hananel unto the gate of the corner and the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Garab and shall compass about Goath and the whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and of the fields under the brook of Kidron under the corner of the horse gate towards the east shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down any more forever. It's a rebuilding of the city. And then you look at it, you're like, wait a minute. I don't think they've ever even had that. That, and clearly we know it hasn't been fulfilled because the city was thrown down again after the Babylonian captivity, right? I don't know. Do you remember what happened in 70 AD? This is a promise to Israel and the being regathered and, and Jerusalem being built up and they get the land. And there's all these promises associated with it. So, Um, Whenever we quote this, let me make it very clear. The New Covenant promises by all, and we did this in church. The audio is in our study in the book of Jeremiah. We went through every verse we could find dealing with the New Covenant. And we looked at all the ones in the Old Testament. Clearly, they were for Israel. Clearly, they have not been fulfilled yet. No way to get around it. And then any verses in the New Testament that seem to speak of it, you, you got to kind of figure out, okay, wait, how much of this is for Israel and where do we fit in in this? Well, we know in Romans, Israel has been blinded, in a sense, set aside temporarily. But God is not done with his people. His, his calling and election will stand. It it, it God is not going to just forget the, the election that he has made, the choice he has made. He set them apart. He brings us in to provoke them to jealousy. We are saved, grace alone, faith alone, because of Christ alone. We reap some of these benefits, but then ultimately all Israel will be saved and he will fulfill the promises he made to the nation of Israel. All right. So the fact that I quote that, that's wonderful. Let's just, just remember to whom it's to, I guarantee he's getting ready to probably apply that directly to us and. Probably will forget Israel very, very, very quick. But let's see. Maybe, Maybe he's not even going to say more than that. We'll see what he's getting ready to say.
2: So this is speaking about the new covenant. That is the New Testament, which we have in Jesus. And the mark of the New Testament, clearly, as you hear in that culmination, is that God forgives sins, remembering them no more against his people. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. These reasons state, are uh, these words state the reasons for the preceding statement. They are a summary of the gospel. Forgiveness of sins by the free grace of God for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so if you have some other teaching being tacked onto that, or even replacing that saying, and this is what you need to do, you don't have the new Testament, the new covenant that Jeremiah foretold going on. The way he summarizes it, you're a lost and condemned sinner. You cannot be your own savior, but do not despair on that account. There's one who has acquired salvation for you. Christ has opened the portals of heaven to you. And he says to you, come for all things are ready. Come to the marriage of the lamb. And that's the reason why Christ says, I heal the sick, not those who are whole. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then Walther glances through the Gospels and notes Jesus is always surrounded by sinners. You know, they're standing behind him, they're always with him, and they're the Pharisees, frowning, looking on sinners, hunger, thirsty. They want to be with him, he's won their hearts. And though the divine majesty shines forth from him, they're not afraid to approach him. They have confidence in him. Think of the woman crying and pouring her tears upon his feet. The Pharisees, he says, utter the bitter reproach. Look, this guy receives sinners and eats with them. And the Lord overhears the remark. And even if he had not heard it, he nevertheless would have known it. Oh, what does he do? He makes no apologies. He doesn't say I don't wish to have sinners, but only righteous people around me. No, he confirms the truth of their statement, which was meant by them as a reproach by continuing the censured action as if he would say, yeah, you know what? I do. I want sinners about me. He then proceeds to prove this, telling the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Practically, the Lord says by telling these parables, there you got my doctrine. I came to seek and to save the lost. So if you're lost, you're in that crowd. Todd, years and years and years ago, (laughs) we had a little bit of a controversy at our church because I put a sign up outside the church. I think I've told this story before. It said, for sinners only, the righteous need not apply. I had one of my members get violently upset with that sign. He thought that was just horrible that we would say that. (laughs) What would the people think? What, we were a bunch of sinners? It's like they already know we're a bunch of sinners, so it's pretty good that we stand up there and confess we are a bunch of sinners, and Jesus welcomes sinners. Do you remember the great hymn we have in our hymnal? Jesus' sinners doth receive. Oh, may all this saying ponder, who in sin's delusion live, and from God in heaven wonder. Here is hope for all who grieve. Jesus' sinners will receive. Did you notice that, by the way, this weekend, you heard the difference between a Roman Catholic and a Lutheran take on who communes from the good archbishop. He spoke specifically about those who commune are not to be guilty of what he called uh, grave sin, right, without having gone to confession and being absolved. And the Lutheran looks upon the sacrament of the altar. We know that we are coming as sinners. We can't come to him any other way. That makes us his proper clients. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Walter says, if you think about it, the apostles are always corroborating this teaching. John says, look, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, this I thought was fascinating. He places the law over against grace and truth, and he says, I don't need to tell you what grace is. When John speaks of the truth that has come, he views Jesus as saying, I teach the essence of the things that were foreshadowed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament presented emblems. I bring realities. The entire temple service of the Levites was figurative. Christ actually brought what was typified in the Old Testament. I wish I'd have known that passage a long time ago to argue with a certain one of our friends who likes to say that he's a strict rectilinear list and doesn't have any truck with typology. Well, C.F.W. Walther clearly says, John is teaching that Christ is the typological fulfillment of the entirety of the Old Testament. Beautiful statement.
1: I want to go into a little more detail on that because he does acknowledge that there's an objection raised. Now, there's some beautiful
0: stuff in that. Absolutely beautiful. Of course, he he quoted Jeremiah 31 and and just immediately, he didn't, he didn't, he just left out Israel and Judah. He just left, just moved right along to us. And that's what I thought was going to happen. And that's what always happens. I do not know why we do that in the context here. Jeremiah is talking to the people of Judah. He's going to the temple and talking to them. And we've been working on Jeremiah the entire summer. When you get to Jeremiah 31, it's just, it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, Jeremiah is like giving these promises and he's just ignoring the people he's actually ministering to. And he's like, hey, Gentile, come here, come here. Let me tell you about the new covenant. No, he's telling Judah and Hey, you may be suffering, you may are getting ready to suffer, but God has not forgotten the promises and the election that he has made. It's sure, it's guaranteed. Now, it may not be immediate for them, and in many ways, they're still waiting for it, right? The fulfillment of this the new covenant, if you look at all the Old Testament promises, clearly has not happened yet for the nation of Israel. We, it's the time of the Gentiles, we have been grafted in. Now we are reaping some of the benefits of the new covenant, but we don't get all of the promises associated with the new covenant, right? The land and all of the things that are promised. Clearly we don't have the eradication of the old nature. I mean, the the way the new covenant is spoken of about Israel, hey, they're gonna, they're going to obey every word. They're not going to sin. No, nothing bad is gonna happen to them ever again. Those are specific promises for Israel. You can either take them and then so spiritualize them that they don't literally mean what they seem to say, and then you steal them from the people they were originally given to. That's so frustrating. Now, everything else he says is very, very true about we don't want to bring in the law. We don't want to bring it in. Christ came to save sinners. We are sinners. We, we, the, so many times that we want to try to convince the world that, no, we're Christians. We live better. What we need to tell them is, no, we're sinners just like you. But we have a perfect Savior who has kept the law for us. All right, let's see where else they're going to take this
1: that Christ did come and, in a technical sense, give laws that, at least in their wording, were not found in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. What are the other ones he mentions there? The law to love our enemies, not seek private revenge, the law to not demand return for what is taken from us, etc. How does he respond?
2: He picks up these passages, and he notes that far from Christ actually introducing some sort of new law there, He's just spiritually expositing what the law of God always required. This is what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. If your neighbor happens to be your enemy, tough. Love him as yourself. Love your enemies and do to others as you would have them do to you. All of this that Christ came and laid on us is only the fulfillment of what God was after the whole time in the law when he said, love Love as the summary of the law. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the fulfillment of the law, love. And so Jesus doesn't actually add to the law. He simply makes people hear what Moses actually said. Another way that that's put in our confessions, Melanchthon says, uh, he removes the veil of Moses, he, you know, referencing 2 Corinthians here, where Moses had the veil over his face, but if anyone turns to Christ, the veil's removed. Well, the veil that gets removed when you turn to Christ is all of a sudden you get to see the law in its full sternness in a way that you maybe never listened to it before. And then you realize the absolute truth that you can do nothing to save yourself. So he summarizes that. That means he didn't come to issue new laws, but to fulfill the law for us so that we may share his fulfillment. I mean, he said that, right? Think not, I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I've come to keep them and to keep them in such a way that my keeping of them will be given and imparted to you and will become your own.
0: Imputed. I don't like the way, I don't like he says imparted. It's imputed. It's accredited to your account. Christ came to fulfill the law and his fulfillment and obedience is accredited to your account so that in Christ you fulfill the law, right? I just, I would not, I like to say, I just, I will stress the word imputed until the day I'm dead, I'm dead because I know that's the whole, the whole Protestant Reformation was versus imputed versus infused. So I don't want to use anything that sounds like I somehow get something inside of me. No, it's it's imputed. It's accredited to my account. And I'm declared to be perfect, righteous, and obedient because of what Christ did. Not because somehow it makes me now able to do it, because I even as a Christian, I still cannot fulfill the law and still fall short.
1: Then he returns to the Council of Trent again, essentially saying, now let's let the papist church speak for itself as to whether or not it wants anything to do with the biblical gospel. These are hard words.
2: The Council of Trent passed this decree in the sixth session. If anyone says that men are made righteous solely through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ or solely through the forgiveness of sins— to the exclusion of the grace and love by which the Holy Spirit is poured out into their hearts and is inherent in them, so that the grace by which we are made righteous is nothing else than the favor of God, let him be accursed.
0: Every church in America needs to read that section from the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent anathematizes us. We're all condemned. But here's the thing. The Council of Trent anathematizes us, but many Protestant churches really are more in line with the Council of Trent than they are with the gospel. He's like, the the Catholic Church says, no, no, no. If you say that you are saved simply by an imputed righteousness— not, no, then you are anathema. No, and so many Christians, we, we adopt more of the Council of Trent idea because he says, because the Council of Trent talks about, no, something being inside of you. There's a grace inside of you. There, the, the Holy Spirit's working inside of you so that you now obey, that you now love. See, it, it's more than just an imputed righteousness. Something happens inside of you so that you can obey. Listen to some Christians talk. No, 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 no. If you're truly saved, you'll do this and do this and do this and do this because God is working in your heart and, and you're going to do this. And if you don't do that, you prove you were never saved. That is basically Council of Trent adjacent. It's it's very similar to the Council of Trent. You're saying, no, you're saved by an imputed righteousness, but, 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 but now this happens inside of you. Now you, and now you're going to love and now you're going to do this and now you're going to do this. And if you don't do it, well, then you were never saved. Meaning. You have to do it in order to be saved. Everyone should should find that. Everyone should find it. In fact, I'm going to, hang on. Remember, I never know where we're going until we get here. So you got to give me a second to look this up. I'm, I'm begging you today. I'm pleading with you today. If I had money, I would pay you. See, Council of Trent... Council of Trent, if I can type right, when you start trying to type fast, 6th Session. Here we go. All right, Council of Trent, the 6th Session. This is where, and I'm looking, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm at the papalencyclicals.net, papalencyclicals.net. Go to an actual Catholic site because I want to make sure I get the right one. All right, the, uh, this is the General Council of Trent, the 6th Session. All right, this was celebrated on the 13th, 13th day of the month, January 1547. Remember, the Council of Trent is there to answer the Protestant Reformation. All right, um, and let's see here. There's so much here. You should read all of it. You should read all of it. Um, let me see here. Um, How far down do I want to go? There's a lot here in this session. Uh, Let's see here. Which set? Okay, I'm looking at all the anathemas. I'm looking at all the anathemas. Oh, yeah, there's so much here. How much of these do I want to read? Okay. Yeah, here we go. Here's, uh, here's one of the canons. If anyone saith that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the justice of Christ or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of grace and charity, which is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Ghost, and is inherent in them, or even that the grace whereby we are justified is only the favor of God. let him be anathema. In other words, hey, you, you, you what Christians say this all the time. Well, we may be saved by grace alone through faith alone, but that grace and faith does not remain alone. Something has to happen inside of us. And if it doesn't happen inside of you, you were never saved. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the Council of Trent. You are anathematizing the entire Protestant Reformation. Get out of your Protestant church. Just go back to Rome. Just leave your very strict Lordship Salvation Church and just go back to a Roman Catholic Church. I know you won't do that because you want to be your own Pope and you don't want to submit to the magisterium of the church. But for, for crying out loud, stop pretending that you're part of the Reformation. We are justified because of an imputed righteousness that is outside of me. I am declared just solely on the favor of God, solely on his righteousness, nothing inside of me. That means I don't look to anything inside of me, anything I do or could do to prove my salvation, because you can't prove your salvation based off what you do. It's proven by looking to what Christ did so. I'm going to beg you today. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to copy this. It's long, all right. It's long, and we probably should do a series on uh, on the General Council of Trent, the sixth session. We really should. I don't know when. I've always got too many things I'm trying to do, but we really need to. But I plead with you today to read the General Council of Trent. The sixth session, I need you to read all the chapters, all the canons with all of their anathemas. And I want you to see exactly what they teach. And then I want you to ask yourself, I think that sounds like my church. I want but I want you to see how similar your church sounds to the Council of Trent. Now, they would say absolutely not. They would get mad if you even infer it. They would get mad if you even imply it. But I'm sorry, as someone who went to a Roman Catholic university to pursue a degree in Catholic theology, I'm sorry. Too many times in the Protestant world, even the Catholics in the school that I went to would say, "I'm sorry, you Protestants are far more Catholic than you went on want on to believe because you say you believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone, but you don't. Because then you'll say, "Well, if you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do that. You're not really saved." It's this. You're saying the same thing. You're saying it requires something more than imputed righteousness. You're saying it requires something extra. I'm telling you, the people who adopt this more lordship-minded idea, they're anathematizing the gospel of imputed righteousness. They're anathematizing the gospel of grace. Therefore, they're teaching another gospel. And I'm telling you, it's Roman Catholicism just in disguise, so everybody wants to when we, when people get so upset with Roman Catholicism, they want to talk about the pope or confession or Mary or praying to the saints or purgatory. And all to me all of those things are so far insignificant compared to the teaching on justification, infused righteousness versus imputed righteousness. That's the real issue. So today, what I'm going to do at theologycentral.net theologycentral.net in the blog section. I'm going to make it simple for you. All you're going to have to do is go to theologycentral.net. Look to the blog section. Give me a few minutes. I'm going to post it all. I'm going to post the whole thing. I'm going to try to provide a link. You're going to have everything you need from session six of the Council of Trent. And I want you to read it today. I want you to read it. I want you to ask questions. I want you to struggle with it. If people walk by going, what are you doing? I'm reading the Council of Trent. Why? Why? Well, because I think I go to a Catholic church. No, you don't, no I think I do. Now that I'm reading this, I think I do. All right. so and I don't, I don't want to cause you any problems, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's Roman Catholicism, ladies and gentlemen. and in and, and a kind of a weird way, and kind of a really weird way, Roman Catholics won. They actually won. The Counter-Reformation actually won because I think it so infected the minds of those outside of Rome with such Roman Catholic ideas that we've, we have basically tried to infuse – I'll use it – infuse into our gospel law, which then completely pollutes and destroys the gospel and no, and no longer turns it into a gospel of grace. It's really law masquerading as gospel. I've been saying that over and over in this series. The Council of Transcession 6, you have to read it today. You have to read it today. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Read it. See it. for. Don't take my words for it. And then really, really think about what it's saying. And and I think you're going to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My church really adds something to it. You're saved, but you're saved. However... You hear that all the time. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But, 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 but. However, if you don't do this and 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 this, and this you prove you're never saved. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Here's 17 tests to prove that you're saved. Are you really saved? Do you know you're really saved? And not any of those tell you to look to Jesus Christ and his finished work and him alone. They don't tell you to look to the imputed righteousness. They tell you to look for some kind of righteousness that's now manifest in your life. Because somehow in the gospel, they have you being infused with something, and that whatever you're infused with somehow proves you're saved, meaning <laughs> it's required in order to be saved. So basically, like the Catholic Church would say, yes, you're justified by faith alone. However, you must have works. And and within the Protestant world, yes, you're justified by faith alone. However, you prove that by your works. But if you don't have your works, you're never saved. It's just saying the same thing. <laughs> so theologycentral.net today. It's Council of Trent Day. Session 6. You need to know it. You need to be an expert on it. Sounds good? All right, okay, good. All right. All right, let's let them finish. I'm telling you, you've got to you've got to understand the Council of Trent. Session 6. You have to. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging. If I had money, I would start sending you money, right? I would PayPal, Vimo, anything I could do, I would send you, I would send you money, all right? But I, I don't have it. But please, all right, let, 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 let's continue.
2: Let him be anathema. Let him be eternally condemned. If anyone says that the faith which makes men righteous is nothing else than trust in the divine mercy, which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that it is only this trust that makes us righteous, let him be accursed, that is, anathema, eternally condemned. If anyone says that a justified person does not, by reason of the good works which are done by him through the grace of God and the merit of Christ, whose living member he is, truly merit an increase of grace, eternal life, and the actual obtainment of eternal life, provided he dies in grace, let him be Cursed. Walter's summary after that is: Unless you are utterly blind and know nothing of the Christian religion, I believe that a plainer proof that the Pope is the Antichrist cannot be offered to you. In the video that I did with uh, Matt Whitman some time ago, I actually had the line in there. You know that that when the Pope anathematizes the gospel. And I had several Roman Catholic commentators that would post their comments. A lot of them liked the video, but they said, but, you know, w- the Pope never anathematized the gospel. And I was like, yeah, again, see, the definition of gospel that they're operating with is not the definition of gospel that you can derive from the sacred scriptures because the good news that Jesus came to bring was simply what he would do on our behalf and give to us. Now, I don't want to deny this, and Walter's going to make this clear throughout the later part of the thesis. This does not mean that having been justified by Christ, you're not enlivened to do good works and obey Christ. If you think that you've been reborn in Christ and you're telling Jesus, yeah, I know you want me to do that, but tough, I'm not going to. You have not been reborn in Christ. He will make that perfectly clear as as he works his way through it.
0: And this is where at times Walther almost panics and almost tries to to bring in a little bit of the law aspect. I'm not saying he goes too far, but he, he gets dangerously close at sometimes, even in the book, uh, God's No and God's Yes, because we always get nervous because grace makes us nervous. Grace makes us, oh, no, no, no. If you're saved by grace, wait, 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 wait. If you really are saved by grace, you'll do this and you'll do it. You got to be careful because you're bringing in the law. Either I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone because of an imputed righteousness or, or, or you're going to start questioning my salvation because I'm not doing A, B, C, D, E. You've just infused the law right back into it. So even Walther at times panics and like, wait, 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 wait. I know people get nervous because immediately we start thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is so-and-so saved? Stop worrying about if everyone else is saved and worry about, are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? All right. So so I, 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 think, I think we have to be very careful with that, all right? So let's continue.
2: Impenitence really has no room. Penitence, uh, or faith rather, exists inside of penitence, as the Lutheran confessions say. But then he notes sort of an irony. He says, you know, everywhere the papists set up the cross and make the sign of the cross, but it's sheer hypocrisy. They have the cross, but without its meaning and connection with Christ. Again and again, we read that they call upon Mary to keep the ship of Peter from perishing. They do not readily say, Jesus is our fortress and rock. And then he says, you know, the worst sects in the Christian religion are probably less harmful than the Pope because all those sects without exception admit that the only way in which a person is saved is by his faith in the grace of God in Christ. All sects by their teaching obscure the gospel, but they do not as the Pope does here anathematize, and curse it. I think that
1: it's strong, but is he wrong? Pastor Will Whedon is our guest on this Monday, June the 19th. We're in part five of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Pastor Whedon is host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study. The Word of the Lord endures forever.
0: Okay, while well, all of that was going on, I was I was I was blogging. Okay, I'm about ready to make the blog go live, theologycentral.net. You're going to have the General Council of Trent 6th Session, the decree on justification. I want you reading it, talking about it. I I want you to just walk around all day, just wherever you go. Just start, quote something from the Council of Trent. If someone calls you today, just say, hey, what are you doing? Well, and just start quoting the Council of Trent. If they come over, just say, hey, 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 what do you think about this? What do you think about this chapter in the Council of Trent? What do you think about this canon? Just whomever, wherever you go. If you're going through the drive-thru going, hey, have you read the Council of Trent today? Just talk about the Council of Trent today, all right? That's what you have to do, all right? You have to. It's a law, okay? All right. It's a law. If you don't do it, okay, you're not saved. Is that, see, I could, I could act like a good Protestant, right? If you don't do this, you're probably not saved. If you don't do this, you're probably not saved. If you don't do this, you're probably not saved. Hey, I was told that if you— <laughs> I remember my world and the Southern Baptist. I was literally drugged out of my house by my ear, <laughs> By the pastor's wife, and told if you cannot be listening, if you're listening to that kind of music, you cannot be saved. I was listening, you know, to Foreigner, (gasps) the band Foreigner, (gasps) the album Four. (gasps) Oh no, and I couldn't be saved. So my salvation was dependent on the music I listened to because the wrong kind of music proves you're not saved. I mean, I've heard some crazy nonsense. In the non-Catholic world. That is so Catholic. And if I was to tell them that, they'd be like, how dare you say that? They would, they would start ripping their clothes and, and, and and you know, put on sackcloth and throw up ashes and like, how dare you say that? I am not Catholic. I believe in salvation by grace alone, because of faith alone, through Christ alone. But, 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 but you gotta do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z, and 75 other things that we determine at any given time or you or you prove you're not saved. Hey, but we're not Catholic. We just sound a lot like the Council of Trent. <laughs> that should be that should be the commercials for many churches in your city. Hey, we're not Catholic, but we sure do sound like the Council of Trent. Come join us this Sunday. Okay. All right, now I'm going to just tick off the whole world. There we go. So, in just a minute, in just a minute, at theologycentral.net, it will be there at your fingertips. Read it. Think about it. Email me about it. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that 99% of the people who listen to this podcast have never read... The Council of Trent probably have never read Session 6, probably have never read the chapters or the canons. And if you haven't, you probably shouldn't be doing a lot of arguing about justification, about lordship, non-lordship, because you really don't have the foundation to do so. Because the foundation is understanding what came, what, what, how the Counter-Reformation tried to answer the Reformation. Because what came out of the Counter-Reformation infiltrated many of those churches that came out of the Reformation. And remember, ignorance of church history does not negate its influence upon you. You may not know the Council of Trent. It should be shocking how much of it is inside your church. All right. There you go. Yeah. Now that, that one got me a little fired up. That got me a little fired up. That one, that one definitely did. That one definitely did. All right. So please read it today. It will be live in just a few minutes. And just a quick reminder, you should know that the Theology Central Podcast is free for you to listen, to download, to listen to us live, we, we have content on every app under the sun. You get to, You can download the Church One app and listen to us live. Everything is free. You'll note there's never any commercials. We do not monetize. But at the same time, just don't forget, it's not free for us to make, to maintain, and to make available to you. It's free for you. It's not free for us, so if you ever desire to support what we try to do here, even though we do it imperfectly, you can go to TheologyCentral.net. You can donate there. If you're listening to us on the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app, there's a little thing there called Give. All of the money goes to Victory Baptist Church located in Ovalo, Texas, if you so ever desire to support us. All right. Thank you for listening. It's Council of Trent Day. Can't wait to see the emails news if at yahoo.com news if at yahoo.com that's news if at yahoo.com everyone have a wonderful day we'll be back on the air sometime shortly god bless